can we start by having your introduction about your qualification and things like that so my name is veena uh, kohli i'm the ceo and founder of uh, vanguard diagnostics private limited i'm also the managing director of uh, digon vanguard diagnostics private limited which is a joint venture company that we formed with a hungarian company called uh, digon i'm also the president of the association of uh, diagnostics manufacturers of india or admi and i'm an alumnus of the all india institute of medical sciences and i did my undergrad and my post graduation from uh, aims in pharmacology and that's about me thank you ma'am and so we would like to know that how long have you been in this management industry and with this specific company also so it's been a total of uh, 35 years that i've been a part of the diagnostics industry both indian and global and in my current assignment at vanguard diagnostics where i am an entrepreneur at saun company it's been 6 years what is your role in the company ma'am i'm the ceo and founder can you just elaborate a bit see it's like uh, setting the philosophy the vision the mission the objectives the philosophy of the company changing strategies with uh, time like one of your uh, questions was related to how to be change our strategy with respect to the covid pandemic so that is the ceo's job the ceo has to be on her or his feet at all times to see what are the changing requirements of the company and how the company should adopt those changes and react to those changes appropriately so that uh, the company is always afloat and always on uh, an upward trajectory with respect to employee satisfaction its growth its reputation its brand equity in the marketplace the i like to lead by example at all times i feel that if you ask somebody to go through fire you have to demonstrate going through fire twice yourself uh like what ramchandra did not do with sita it's it's something that i don't agree with but if you ask somebody to cross fire you have to demonstrate it yourself twice so you have to when you lead by example i think it's easy to lead number 1 that you are demonstrating to people that look uh, this is the way to do it and another is that you are giving yourself the toughest job being a leader is not sitting in a chair and having a huge team that does a lot of work for you being a leader is actually doing the toughest things yourself and expecting a little less than that from the others and i haven't had an ideal role model i would say but i picked up several things uh, from the people the senior people that i worked with through these 35 years uh, you wouldn't know their names so i wouldn't mention but a public figure that i have been uh inspired by because i recently read her book is indra noi who was the uh ceo of pepsico for 12 years and she went through so many roles and what i really liked about her was uh, and i'm going to try to imbibe that is the excellent the outstanding unmatched response time that she had uh, committed to doing so she had a special uh, you know what do you call it alert uh for a mail that would be coming from her boss and she set a timeline for herself 
then I would respond to that mail or that message within three minutes, whatever be the time of the day. She was a global leader. So she was always in different parts of the globe at different times. So she was following the global blocks, which are not easy to get aligned with at all times. I've been uh, the global head for the diagnostics business at an American company. And I know the biggest challenge used to be to align yourself with the global clock. And under those circumstances, if you commit to replying to uh, your superior within three minutes uh, to every email or message, I think it's absolutely outstanding. And uh, she did that at each time without failing. So I, I really do admire her. Uh, thank you, ma'am. I'm sorry for being late. I had a few technical difficulties. So the next I question is, um, um, how has your leadership style and technique evolved over the years, like from the beginning of your career to now? I'd say even at the middle management level, I was at Ranbaxi at that time. I didn't share with you uh, where I worked. In fact, I should do that. So after Ames, I uh, joined Ranbaxi. That was a dream company for me. I loved that. It was the first Indian MNC. I joined as an R&D scientist and then I uh, was given the charge of quality. So I headed quality, laid down uh, all the systems for quality, for diagnostics. And I was amongst a very small team that was... Uh, uh, formed by the DCGI of India to lay down regulatory processes for the diagnostics industry in India. So I was very fortunate to have got that opportunity and we wrote the regulatory guidelines. Then I was given charge of manufacturing. So I've set up four manufacturing uh, plants. And in addition to that, uh, I was given charge of uh, supply chain management for all the divisions of Ranbaxi's line businesses, uh, which I did for about four and a half years. After that, Ranbaxi started divesting its businesses. You must have heard the pharma business being bought by Sun Pharma and the diagnostics business was uh, sold to an American MNC called Aventor. So Aventor had a 104-year-old brand and they were making acquisitions in emerging markets like India, Poland, and then they wanted to integrate their businesses. That's when I became the global head for the diagnostics business. I was looking after 85 uh, countries directly and I had a wonderful team uh, across uh, multicultural, multilinguistic uh, people in that, a big Dutch team, American team, South American team, Asian team, of course, my own uh, Indian team. And I think I learned the most uh, during that period. And since that company was uh, held by private equity at the end of five years, they had to either acquire or get acquired. So in that process, they were in the, they had more focus on fine chemicals and less on diagnostics. So that's the time when the top management of the Indian uh, uh, set up here, we decided to make our own company to become entrepreneurs because we felt that we'd reached the highest level of the corporate world. There was no further to go to. So why not make use of the experience that we had uh, collected over a period of 30 years and put that to use with a focus on import substitution, self-reliance, and make in India. So everybody in my team is extremely passionate about make in India. And, you know, many people, uh, they have technical know-how, they would, uh, they can make uh, and develop products for their own company and sell, but we positioned ourselves as the preferred manufacturing partner. If there were, let's say, 100 people in the industry, 50 of them were importers or traders who did not have a manufacturing facility. Everyone need not be a manufacturer. They were importing from China. So we said, don't import from China. Buy from us. We will give you 
good reagents at high quality at lower price without you having to pay freights and import duties and you know quality issues not being resolved by chinese and you know keeping an inventory for 3 to 4 months we gave them a lead time of just one week to produce those reagents so we very uh, happy we done made a humble contribution towards uh, making india increasingly self reliant in the space of uh, diagnostics reagents and uh, we continuing to work uh, towards that so coming back to your question that uh, at the middle management level also i led by example but i think the change that has evolved over the years is that uh, i uh, i don't do micromanagement anymore i think i used to do a lot of micromanagement earlier but as time has evolved my plate's been rather full there been new things being added so i think i would still love to do micromanagement to see a project to completion but i just don't have the time these days to do that but this is a blessing in disguise a good leader shouldn't be micromanaging i would say you know you should give little bit of flexibility freedom to your team to do their own thing they needn't always be doing what you think is right because then that would become uh, you know there wouldn't be so much variety in the process of thinking in the content of thinking so i think it's a blessing in disguise that i got too much things to do so i don't mind to manage yes because our model was all uh, based on the make in india model that's why we became entrepreneurs not for a living i mean we could have joined any other g roche abert any other company uh, uh, and continued with in the corporate world because but that that kind of a job doesn't give you the flexibility to follow your own vision and your own passion so when you make your own company and i always say don't start your company too early in life get the required experience in the corporate world complete your chain of capabilities you have a robust uh, know how of management of technicalities of every every aspect of business that you can imbibe you should do that so that when you when you actually start your own company your learning curve is short and efficient so that it's not as if you take 7 years to really find your feet and identify what needs to be done you should already know what you are headed towards and be able to do it correctly and efficiently in the shortest possible time so i think make in india is is what our business is based on so it's helping us plus i feel very fortunate that i am uh, leading a association of diagnostics manufacturers of india wherein the objective is to make india increasingly self reliant and act as a bridge between the industry and the government of india trying to influence policies trying to give them reason to support make in india to even a greater extent and make india self reliant and do all the import substitution that we can do especially from china and because i think our quality is better than theirs our prices are better than theirs our delivery is better than theirs so why should we look at them if you look at uk or europe or america japan they are ahead of us in technology by a huge mile so we really need to catch up uh, with them so of course there will be some imports that, that would be done from the developed countries because there's a big gap in the technology quotient of these countries as compared to india and of course again we are setting the base for r&d and innovation not just manufacturing because uh, uh, you also need to be ahead of the curve sometimes and for that r&d and innovation is very important and now the government started focusing on that also for the diagnostics and medical devices sector 
Thank you. I really appreciate your Nathan and your project. And I have seen it through your company that how you, uh, you know, pursue it and encourage it a lot. Uh, the next question is, how would you describe a difference between a manager and a leader in your company? See, I think a manager, uh, manager through my experience, even a good manager would like to take credit for all the good that's happened and would like to share the discredit. Or if something goes wrong, he'd say I wasn't alone in it or uh, she'd say I wasn't alone in it. We were a, a team of five people and I, he or she would expect that the blame be shared equally, if not more, by the others. Whereas a leader is uh, or should be, a leader should be more large-hearted wherein the credit automatically comes to the leader and the leader is not credit hungry because I think a leader is little above uh, that. Leaders already achieved that was meant to be achieved with respect to recognition or getting credit for a particular project. But because the leader knows in her or his heart that my team is following my vision, I have shown them this path. They may have executed it, but I have shown them the path. I have given them this philosophy. And if that path turns out to be wrong or if that philosophy fails, then I must take the onus of that. I must be the face of the discredit. I must be the face of the failure. And also, I'm in a position to take that failure in my stride because I have more experience. I've had more successes. And if I expose my team to take discredit uh, for the failure, they'd be demotivated. They never, uh, you know, realize their full potential. They start feeling underconfident. So you have to, the leader has to insulate the team members from failure and be the face of the failure. Thank you, ma'am. I really liked that answer. Uh, the next question is, um, what are the qualities a manager requires to be a good leader? I think empathy is one. Being able to take uh, team members along is another. And all of us are very tempted to be a solo player. I've seen that uh, throughout my career because then all the credit comes to you. If you're a solo player, you say everything was done by me, all credit should come to me. But, you know, that you, it's good till you're a manager, you can work uh, in, a, in an isolated silo or in a solo fashion. But if you want to develop yourself into a leader, a good leader, then you have to take people along. And then you have to, uh, you know, be empathetic about what works for which person. I'll just give you an example. In my own team, I used to sit and make notes, you know, about what, uh, you know, what really drives each person. You know, I found some people get driven by money. Some people get driven by uh, position. Some people uh, get driven by appreciation done uh, uh, publicly. And there are some people who get driven by being flogged publicly. You won't believe it. There are some people, if you don't really, uh, you know, uh, reprimand them or, you know, uh, give them a very negative feedback publicly, they just don't get going, you know. And as a leader, as a, uh, as a leader, I would say you have to be open to adopting everything. To meet, I don't know if you remember that Sam and Bed Neeti, all that is required to be used at the right place, to be used in moderation, to be used appropriately and not abused and misused. Then, then you're not a leader if you're doing that. Then you're a politician. 
So, and no good leader is a politician. I think a leader must be apolitical. And that's my personal philosophy because you should always play from a position of strength. And I always tell my team that if you are in my team, it'll be in my company, I promise it'll be apolitical because I'm, I'm very poor at playing politics and I'm sure to fail because uh, that'll be playing from a position of weakness and uh, who wants to fail? So I said, one thing you can be sure of, totally apolitical, don't worry about I'm scheming something against you with someone else or some, nothing. I don't even listen to a negative feedback that one person comes in a company about throughout my career. If there was a manager who'd say, I'm just giving any name, you know, he'd say, Joy said this to me. I said, call Joy right here. Both of you sit in front of me. I want to hear both sides of the story. Otherwise, don't talk to me. And they tried pushing, pushing, but then they understood that I'm not going to listen to any such thing. If there is something concrete, both of you, three of you come here, talk, we talk objectively and we arrive at a solution. But nobody can come and talk to me against the other person at any level in my organization today. And I think if you can inculcate that, that would remove a lot of tension from your minds. I mean, you've got to be managers and young leaders uh, as you move forward in your careers. Be apolitical. There's so much peace for you and there's so much peace for the team. It's a difficult game to play, according to me. It's a very difficult game to play. I can't keep track of what I did to this one. Do, some, do everything right uh, to the best of your ability and understanding so that you don't have to remember what all lies uh, were said. So if you speak the truth, if you follow the truth, follow your passion. I think it's simple. Yeah. Moving on to our next question. How do you identify a potential uh, leaders and how do you train them to become successful or uh, a good leader? Just one benchmark. I think I would use only one yardstick. Uh, people who enjoy their work actually make great leaders. You know, who don't look at their work as work, what salary, what, if they enjoy their work, then they, that becomes their calling in life and that becomes their passion. So they are not worried about who's watching me do this work. Am I going to get a credit for this? Am I, uh, you know, uh, being paid enough? They just enjoy their self-starters, self-motivated. They don't need a push. And I think then that, that uh, drive from within takes them to uh, great heights and they become great leaders. So it's very important to identify, just to put a word in here, very important to identify for young people like you to first at some at the given point in time, you're all in college, isn't it? Right now? You're all in college. I think it's the right time to try and decipher what is your true calling in life. Give it some thought. What do you enjoy doing the most? Don't look at what gives me the highest amount of salary or what would give me take me to the biggest company. Ask yourself, what do I enjoy doing the most? And if you find that calling in life and if you're able to tread that path, believe me, all other things will fall in place without you having to work towards that. You know, the success, the money, the fame, everything will fall in place. But the, the under, overarching uh, prerequisite is that you should be doing what you enjoy doing the most. Thank you, ma'am. So our next question is like, is feedback from your subordinates important to you? Like the people who, who you are leading, is their feedback important to you? Yeah, see feedback either from subordinates or superiors or 360 degrees. Feedback is 
a gift. Feedback of any kind is a gift. And it must be accepted with gratitude, you know. And now feedback can be of two types, positive feedback, negative feedback. See, the positive feedback, don't pay too much attention to it. It can take care of itself. You can feel good about it for that moment. That's it. Don't, you don't need to really work on it. You just let it be. But negative feedback is the most important feedback, wherever it comes from. And I always tell my team, and I practice that myself, that any negative feedback that you receive, it should be multiplied by 10 in its intensity in your mind. So that it becomes the topmost priority for you to analyze, to make corrective actions, to imbibe it, to follow it, and to correct it as soon as possible. And let me tell you one thing. A feedback, a negative feedback, however exaggerated, however unfair, however untimely, however rude it may sound, there is always some truth in it. Believe you me, I have 35 years of experience behind me, there is always some truth in it. You know, like they say, there's no smoke without fire. That holds true even for this. So what you need to do is unclutter all that, that, oh, how, what, how, what was the body language of the person who said this to me? What harsh words this person used by uh, conveying this negative feedback to me? All that declutter. Just wash the pebbles and arrive at the core of it. What is it? What is the negative feedback? Let me look at the core of it and hold on to that and multiply that by 10 times. Make it larger than life in your mind so that it becomes the biggest priority and you correct it. See, something must be wrong that someone came up and as a leader, you don't get negative feedback. Who wants to displease you? No one wants to displease you. Everyone wants to be a, a yes uh, person to you, which is very dangerous. So when you do get a negative feedback, first thing, of course, you must create an environment where people can come and give you negative feedback. And when you get negative feedback, you better take it seriously. I'm telling the leader, telling myself, telling everybody, you must take it seriously. It is the biggest gift because you have to evolve as a person, as a human being, as a leader throughout your life. And how do you evolve? Not through positive feedback. No, you become complacent with positive feedback. It's a negative feedback that helps you evolve. How do you personally deal with criticism? Like, like I said, it's not easy. It's never easy. I'd be lying if I said, oh, wow, I love negative feedbacks. No, but I look at it objectively. I try and look at it objectively because uh, when I was at uh, Aventor and at Runback Sea, we had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, sessions on personal growth. When we were trained to receive negative feedback like a gift, and to process it in our minds in a positive way with an inclination and intent to make corrections. So I personally have been trained to take negative feedback uh, correctly. And each one of us, I think, can self-train ourselves. You know, when you have that belief, and now I firmly have that belief, and you also over a period of time will develop that with experience. Like I said, I'm repeating, however exaggerated, rude, unfair, untimely the feedback might be, there is always some truth that you must address.
I think always it's been uh, time management, I would say that some, you know, there are so many things happening at the same time, especially when you're doing multitasking, you, uh, I mean, there are two companies and you have a team, then you're working with the industry, you're working with the government, you really have to be agile with your time management. And also, uh, I've many times worked for 20 hours a day. That, that's the only way I could have managed uh, to, because you don't want to compromise on quality, you want to be as near perfect as you, uh, as can be possible. So for that, you need to sacrifice uh, your own time. And let me tell you, success demands a lot of hard work. You can't get success easy, at least lasting success. You may get momentary, you know, uh, a short-lived uh, success for some time uh, on the basis of taking it easy or, you know, not really burning your uh, burning the midnight oil but if you want sustained success and if you uh, really want to be a true leader success demands hard work be prepared to work very very hard and I, on an average i've worked for not less than 17 hours per day for the past 35 years and of course even 20 22 hours maybe i've slept for two hours before a very big presentation or a big meeting and sometimes that used to go on for a week that one after another, two hours. So develop your stamina, eat well, keep your immunity high so that your body can sustain and you know support you in uh, such times. And of course, have a, have a very happy family life. That's, um, you didn't ask me this question, but I'm just sharing with you that people who come, leaders uh, who come uh, from happy families are able to deliver much better. So your personal life should also be sorted so uh, you find the right people uh, to be associated with. But if there's, uh, you know, unhappiness or discontentment in personal life, you can never deliver your best. Thank you. Oh. Also, is that method of working really sustainable for a person, you know, like for your health and well-being? Like, is that the way to go about it also? I wouldn't say that everyone should follow this, but it gave me a lot of satisfaction and I couldn't do as much in less number of hours. So it worked for me, I would say, personally speaking, but I don't advocate. I have a very compromised social life. I must say that, that I don't get time to really socialize too much. I have limited number of friends and I, they, uh, I don't meet them so much. And I think even with respect to the family, uh, my husband's also very busy, so it's okay. But I do feel sometimes when, the my, when my children were small, I used to travel a lot and I couldn't give them a lot of time. And, but, and I used to feel guilty about it. For several years, I felt, oh, I didn't see my children grow the way I should have. And this, that, the other. And I should look at other women who said, oh, I gave up my job and I could see my children grow and so on. So I say, my God, I did the wrong thing. But now that my children are adults and they turn around and tell me, mom, we won't want you in any other way. And we are far more proud of you uh, seeing as what you are. And we, we didn't need you that much as you thought you, we did. So if you sat at home and if you looked after us and fed us with your own hands, we, we won't hold that in... Uh, uh, you know, in, in very high uh, regard at this point in time, we are far more proud of you as what you did than what you think you could have done. So I think that's the biggest reward. And I feel uh, very validated because they say this to me almost every day that uh, uh, we're very proud of what you're doing. My husband is extremely supportive. I think for women, we have two women uh, today here 
in the conversation. So I must uh, say that, that please always look for, uh, don't be in a hurry to get married first thing. Mm? That no, don't be in a hurry at all. It's not, it's not worth the while, let me tell you. So you complete your education, stand on your own two feet, achieve something in your life, be financially independent. If you want to be respected in your marriage, be financially independent. If there was a man, who, the woman kept asking for money, I also won't respect her. You know, like I hard-earned money, I want to spend on your dresses and makeup. No, earn your own money and also be in a position to give it to him if he needs it. So uh, stand on your own two feet, earn your own money, never give up your career. Therefore, look for a partner who would be supportive of your career. When my father was looking for people, the first prerequisite was that she's not going to give up her job. Is it okay? Those days, you can imagine women working and in the private sector like me with 17 hours of working, it wasn't acceptable. You could be a school teacher or a doctor at best, you know. So uh, you'd be half day at home working at home and half day working. So my father used to say that. So, so there were very few who kind of accepted and I'm glad uh, uh, my life partner who accepted, supported me throughout. So you have to be cognizant of that. This for the ladies. <laughs> and of course, boys, I must say, uh, it's uh, times come to make a change. So you must treat everybody as your equal partners. I'm sure you do that. Young boys are a different lot these days. They are so evolved and they're so uh, balanced and uh, they have that equality of gender in their minds. I think that's good upbringing. Yes. Ma'am, thank you so much for this advice. And there's one last question we all have is, uh, how has been pandemic for you and the company and your leadership style? See, the pandemic was very tough. I think both the first wave and the second wave. But uh, while looking back at that time, I think we really energy channelized all our energies towards finding solutions for the pandemic. And I'm just sharing, there was one product called the viral transport medium. Everyone knows the RT-PCR now. It's been democratized so much that a vegetable vendor can hold a conversation on RT-PCR. I heard one of the sabziwala says, my RT-PCR positive. Aya tha. So, you know, it's so good. RT-PCR, the five most used alphabets uh, in the world in the past two years. So, uh, so what we did was we channelized our energies towards finding solutions for COVID-19. And in April 2020, uh, this viral transport medium kit, like uh, I was referring to, which is an accessory reagent for conducting the RT-PCR test. So they were all being imported from China at, let's say, 350 rupees per test. Very expensive. And the whole population uh, that we have of 125 crores had to be tested, ideally. And then we said, very quickly, I, that's when, see, I haven't worked on the bench, but uh, in a long time, but I was an R&D scientist. So that's when I really pulled up my socks and we started working on a formulation. Very quickly, we made a one liter batch in one week, stabilized that, upscaled it to 10 liters in another 10 days and upscaled it to 400 liters in four weeks. And we got the approvals, the ICMR approval, the manufacturing license, and we started selling it at one third the price that China was selling it at. 
and we won a tender for from ICMR, Indian Council of Medical Research, and it was a huge tender, and we supplied at one third the prices. So we could have sold at uh, half the price or the same price because the market was accepting the Chinese products, but we decided to give that pass on all the benefit in uh, costs that we had incurred to the user to the country and i would say to summarize i think we adopted a more service oriented approach a more humanitarian approach during this period than looking at our profitability we never never thought of the profitability we said the country needs the vtm what is what else can we make we were amongst the first to make the antibody test also for covid 19 so that also we subsidized the price so much that maybe we were one fifth the price of the imported product at that time so we didn't look at um, uh, profitability or anything and when the second wave many people in my team fell in the critical people the quality control manager the manufacturing head the marketing so many people fell in but the show had to go on because the second wave was even more dangerous and the demand was like there were five lakh positive tests per day that was the peak of the second wave and then how the, the show must go on and people who had covid we couldn't call them to office for the and some see in some sections you can work from home and some other sections you have to be at the plant especially in manufacturing quality so i used to be up the entire night for three months running three shifts of manufacturing i called my driver to supervise because he didn't have covid i sent my housekeeper to the office to the factory i sent whoever i knew who was safe with the you know all the precautions to lead the workers and i was overlooking and this went on for three months and for three shifts i kept myself up and the prices crashed let me tell you prices of all the products uh, crashed during this period our margins were very thin but again like i said we didn't look at the margins we said we need to adopt the service oriented approach and just break even and supply what is required uh, for the people of the country i think this time has been really hard for you and the company also uh, it was very gratifying very very yeah. satisfied today when i say this to you it's not uh, with any other feeling but a great sense of satisfaction and gratitude actually uh, this was the need of an hour i would say because otherwise our country wouldn't be able to survive till your if people like you wouldn't exist and people won't do this kind of things so here we are at the end of our interview and we would really like to thank you and uh, ma'am i have just a little question can we quote you like in our presentations and reports please do that you are free okay. to do that thank you so much ma'am Ma'am, it was really inspiring. I wish you all the very best, and uh, in whatever you're doing, and become great uh, managers first, and then great leaders. All the very best. Thank and you. Sure remember what I said. <laughs> okay. Okay.